I think at the end of the day, you're stewarding a movement of God. Uh, and so whether that's functionally a church or not, uh, it is a movement of God uh, that people are coming to Christ through, people are growing in their faith through, uh, and, and the, that life change is happening through. Hey everyone, welcome to the Social Media Church Podcast. I'm Neil Smith, joined by my new friend, Anne Bosarge. Anne, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, so we met online on social media, and uh, which is very natural for two people that are very involved uh, online <laughs> and in ministry. And and, and I'm, I was so fascinated as I poked around some of the different sites that you're involved in and, uh, and fascinating the history of, and I said the history, the short history, uh, but really the great impact uh, that you're having online and through your online ministry efforts. So for those that don't know you uh, and know your story, can you share a little bit about your background and who you are and, and what it is that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So I am currently um, on staff with the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church as the Director of Leadership Strategies and Local Church Resources. And part of my role is to help people start new things and to innovate and lead. And several years ago, um, when the pandemic hit, we started something new. And like many of the people that are listening here, um, that was uh, an opportunity for us to go online. And my coworker and I, um, Gracie, who is now the co-founder of a lot of our digital ministries along with me, um, we moved our women's ministry online um, we had three weeks left in our small group series, and I just thought, you know, ladies, the world has fallen apart. I'll see you online at some point. You know, we'll catch up. And they were like, "And you can't leave us. Like, we have yeah. three more weeks in this series. Yeah. So we went um, onto Facebook, developed a group that we called Becoming More, which is the name of our women's ministry. And we finished those three weeks. But by the time we finished those three weeks in our group, we had about three times as many women as we started with, and we realized that we couldn't just then pull the plug on all of this since the pandemic was a little longer than the couple of weeks that we thought it was going yeah. to take, right? Right. And so we continued to do daily discipleship for these women um, and walk with them every single day as we posted very consistently, did live prayers, things like that. And... Um, so that's kind of how we first stepped our toe into digital discipleship, um, digital ministry, and all of that just happened from a Facebook post. I love it. I love yeah. It. So, so, and I want to talk through kind of the next steps yes. you took. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, what the, where your story starts though, is where a lot of people's stories started of basically out of necessity, uh, you, you transitioned to online. Um, and I'm curious too, as we get it further into the story, but is there anything that surprised you in those initial interactions or was it like, okay, we well, yeah, expected this to happen. I expect this, this kind of response. What was the, the response that you maybe expected versus what you received as you, as you jumped online? Yeah, I think, um, when we jumped online, we just originally thought that we were going to stick with our 30 women that we had in the group. And we thought this will be a nice little intimate group. And Gracie and I went live once a week and we would have conversations. And then 
you know, these women started finding so much comfort in in just a normal routine of digging into the word and and a continuing daily discipleship when our um, schedules were all just out of whack. And so that routine, then they wanted to share with with other women. And so they were like, hey, I'm getting so much out of this. So I think we didn't realize the um, the quickness that it would take mm-hmm. off. And I think part of that was just because of where we were. You know, much of that, I think, was just everybody was feeling so topsy-turvy and upside down and their schedules were crazy and they were home when they shouldn't be home. And then what do I do? Do I just sit here and worry and watch news all day long? That is not healthy. So maybe we need to get in back into a, a routine of spiritual discipline. So I think it just really met a need in people's lives and they wanted to share it. And so that's, we didn't expect the multiplication, I think, um, not as fast as it happened for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. And that's, that's common. And sometimes though, it's the other way. I mean, I think people get online and they think they're going to see all of a sudden masses uh, show up and, and not as many people show up. So what did you do from there though? As, as you began to see such significant response, where did you pivot or adjust and adapt uh, to yeah. kind of steward what God was doing there? Yeah. So we um, began to see that people were hungry to begin to engage in in-person small groups. Even though we were a digital ministry at that time, we knew that people were ready to, some of them were ready to get back in person. And so what we decided to do was to begin writing curriculum. So mm-hmm. curriculum is in my background. I am a trained elementary school teacher and worked as a curriculum writer for the Department of Education for several years from home. And so writing curriculum is just something, believe it or not, people love to do that. Yes. <laughs> I know it sounds very nerdy, but... <laughs> uh, uh- So I began writing curriculum for Becoming More, and we began to produce those um, two or three times a year. We began to produce curriculum. And what we would do is we would come together in those small groups, whether they were in person or online. So we would have Zoom groups and we would also have in-person groups. And we would come together in kind of a launch event where we would kind of kick off things and then um, all come together online and then just kind of distribute everybody out throughout their groups. And we would have this um, this rhythm of um, small groups and then, you know, daily discipleship, that there was yeah. this coming together and then scattering into groups. And about, um, I guess it was about a year into becoming more, um, I wanted more. Um, I began to see that there were so many more possibilities. And so I had been asking our um, church staff. I was on staff at, at a church um, at that point as the multi-campus director. Okay. And I had been asking our church staff, hey, I think we need to start a digital um, campus. We need a digital campus. Yeah. And I had been saying this mantra for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> So your mind was already down this path oh, I, uh, of onlyness, yeah. Down this path, yeah. Um, so I um, I used what we had learned in becoming more to say, hey, I think there's more that we could do um, with a actual digital campus for our church, mm-hmm. and so. I was given um, the permission to get started with that. Um, very little resources because, of course, you know, at that point, there's just 
not many resources available. So very little resources, but I had my friend Gracie by my side and we started tackling what would then become the chapel online. Um, so at that point we had two, um, two digital communities that we were developing. Um, many things, many things were similar, but yet there were lots of things that were unique about each of them. Obviously they're, you know, becoming more was for women and, um, and then the chapel online was for anybody, but very soon after our launch, we realized that, um, we began to engage a global audience. Um, And that was our surprise from the Chapel Online. Um, that was not expected. We did not set out to reach people globally. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we had our first global person join. Um, her name was Martha. She was from Zimbabwe. She is now my daughter in Christ. And I wow. love her so much and yes. in contact with her every single day. But she, uh, she just reached out to me um, as a part of our assimilation process that we had in the chapel online. And I just remember going over to Gracie's um, desk and saying, oh, we have somebody from Zimbabwe. Yeah, you love <laughs> so, it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how things started with the chapel online and continuing with becoming more. Yeah, so, so as you began to accidentally go global, and there's that excitement of we have somebody in Zimbabwe. There's also, I, I would say, as, as I experienced something similar, you know, maybe a decade back with OnlineChurch.com, as we began to reach people overseas, it was like, well, somebody got saved in India. What do we do? Where do we connect? Yeah. You know, I don't know anybody in India or local churches to connect them with. How do we get them baptized? How do we, how do we do some of these things? How did you navigate the the excitement of, you know, we're reaching people all over the world, but also the, the, the uh, uh, burden isn't the right word, but the complexity of like, yeah. there's not a playbook for what to do now. So what, what, what did you do? Yeah. So what we started doing was physically plotting people on a map. So okay. it got to the point where we had over and we have over 50 different countries represented. Um, yeah. But what we begin to see is that there are kind of hot spots around the globe where yeah. people have shared the chapel online with the people that are around them. And then people that are not even connected, somehow the Facebook algorithm um, yeah allows the presence of the Holy Spirit to come in and to connect people. I mean, that is, that's the only way I can describe it. Um, But, um, but somehow these clusters of people around the globe have begun, have begun to form. And so um, because of Martha's influence in my life, um, she actually encouraged us to expand our ministry from Facebook into WhatsApp. Um, which is a much more international, global platform that everybody around the world knows, except for the people in the U.S. Yep, yep. Yeah. And I remember telling Martha, I was like, Martha, I do not know about WhatsApp, and she said, Mom, I will do it for you. So, awesome. um, so she did it for me, and yeah. she still is our WhatsApp genius today. And um, but so now we have a WhatsApp group that's a big global WhatsApp group. But then we also have geographically located WhatsApp groups where people have begun to connect locally in specific geographic pockets as well as connecting globally. 
Um, so that way we are able to get in contact and build leaders in some of these geographic locations. And they, um, from time to time, will get together for fellowship events, for discipleship. They will go out and do ministry and evangelism together within their local communities, those kinds of things. Um, so we're constantly on the lookout to see, God, who are you raising up as a leader? And how can we help undergird this work and all this life that God is, um, that God is beginning to stir up in people's hearts? Um, so even this morning, um, I, on the horizon is a, one of those WhatsApp groups in Malawi. Um, and that's, that's a new kind of a new area for us where I think that we've got a good leader who can begin to develop some things there. So yeah, very cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you, so you have kind of these two big things moving how do you manage all of it? Because the complexity of like, now you've got WhatsApp, you've probably got Facebook, you got Instagram, you got YouTube, you, you know, there's, there's so much with it. And, and you also like, you've got now, and it's, I would assume you yet to meet, uh, you know, everyone that's in all of these places, all over the world. So you're empowering volunteers that you've never met in person. How do you manage all of that? Yeah. And, um, and this is just my hobby. <laughs> and this is just my hobby. <laughs> So um, it, it's just, it's by the grace of God. It is by um, just powered by the Holy Spirit and coffee, I say, um, okay. is, is really what it is. Yeah. And, and it's with a team. Um, it is, we have an amazing team of individuals that are completely sold out to the mission of what we're doing. Um, and we still have some people from the very beginning of our launch team um, who have journeyed, uh, together with me and we'll get on like a team meeting and we've got people from, we have a big group of people in Uganda. Um, okay. and so we have a couple staff members now in Uganda. We have a director wow. of mission and ministry there. And then we actually, um, we actually have a child sponsorship organization there too, that we started, um, wow. called. You started Mission out of this. Yes. We started it out wow. of this. Yeah, okay. as people were responding to what God, I mean, we're working on discipleship. So we're like, we need a way to put our discipleship into action. Here are some people that can facilitate that on the ground. And so we, um, you know, we're there at eight o'clock in the evening, Eastern Standard Time. We've got our Ugandan folks that are up at, you know, 4 a.m. on a meeting. And we've got people all across and um, just we are constantly amazed at what God has done and continues to do. And we just respond. Yes. We just respond. Yes. God, if you're in it and you're calling us, we don't know how we're going to do this. We didn't have anybody that had experience running a child sponsorship program. Yes. Yes. Um, But yet God put all the right people in the right places um, for his purposes. And so we're just thankful. Yeah. So, so I've got a theological question for you and, and it's, uh, it's maybe it might sound loaded. It might be loaded. Uh, is this church? Ah, that is a question I get all the time. So, so many people have said, and this is actually, um, the crux of this theological question is actually what moved me from this being a part of a local church to this becoming a nonprofit. 
um, because of a difference in understanding of what this could be. So many people don't think that you can have an online church, um, that that's not possible. You cannot build relationships online. You cannot follow up with people. This These relationships are not, quote, real, right? Yes. Um, and so that was very much the, the criticism that I was facing. Um, and I just continued to be very convicted in saying, hey, I, I don't really think that God is so much worried about whether or not we are a church. What I know for a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, is that we are the church we are the church. We are scattered across the globe, but these are the people I'm spending eternity with. I mean, these are the people you will be spending eternity with, right? And um, and we are the church. So where we gather, that is a place where the church comes together. You know, you can define the word church by structures and building and all of these kinds of things. But what I know to be true is that I am the church and you are the church. And here, even together in this podcast, we are the church, yes. right? And so, you know, there's debates whether we are a church. I'm, I just don't even, I just don't even go there because what I know beyond a, beyond a shadow of a doubt is that we are the church. I, I love that so much. And I, I, I hope those listening to this will, will hear your heart behind that. And I think that it, at the end of that, I think, I do think it's a, it's a valuable conversation, but I think it's one, we probably waste too much time on nuances of what we're calling church. And I think at the end of the day, you're stewarding a movement of God. Uh, and so whether that's functionally a church or not, uh, it is a movement of God, uh, that people are coming to Christ through, people are growing in their faith through, uh, and, and the, that life change is happening through. And so whether that's a church, the church, you know, uh, a ministry, a what, what, whatever it is. Uh, and at the end of the day, even your 501c3 is just a tax status. Uh, at the end of the day, you are stewards of, of God's movement uh, and, and you're trying to steward that effectively. I'm, I'm may, maybe to continue to go down the theological path a little bit because your UMC uh, connections, my dad is a UMC pastor. Uh, and one of the things that I, so I'm I'm early adopter of online ministry and we started onlinechurch.com 14 years ago and 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 I got I had, had so many theological debates early on and I feel like they're lesser lesser and lesser today uh, but I remember my dad sent me an article where the UMC had voted to not allow online communion um, anymore I'm curious in your you know and th and th that's generally uh, I, I would assume Baptist to Presbyterians maybe even uh, as you look at some of the denominational connections have been more resistant to online uh, ministry. And uh, I'm curious how you have navigated that uh, from an influence standpoint of helping people to understand or even, you know, the, what the, what the, how your role as an innovator within the United Methodist Church, how that's been received uh, and how you navigate that role where I'm confident you have significant resistance uh, in a lot of this innovation in ministry that you're doing as well. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that is so important in the United Methodist Church is that we um, really honor the sanctity of um, of communion and baptism and those kinds of things. And and I'm not trying to um, 
quantify and be an organized church um, yeah. in as the way that the United Methodist Church would define church. Um, yeah. This is more of a ministry. But I will tell you that um, in my role with the United Methodist Church, it's my job to start new expressions of church yeah. and new things. So one of the things that we started in October of last year was this initiative of, hey, what, do, what would it look like to have um, home churches yeah. in our conference um, that were not geographically in the same area as mm -hmm. the host church that is hosting them? Um, yeah. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm going to begin to lead this idea forward, then I better know what I'm talking about. So I started a home church. Um, so I have a home church now that has been in existence since October of this last year. And so trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we do with these things? Right. Yeah. Um, we also, so our home church's host church is an hour and 15 minutes up the road. So we don't see those people very often. It's not like on communion yeah. Sundays, we come together and we receive communion. Um, we also have a home church that is another one that we started that is four and a half hours away from the host church. Okay. And what we have, what we have come, um, what has become so clear to us is this idea of this communion, which means this unity of the community, right? Yeah. Within this, um, within taking the elements and things like that. Um, so for us in our home church, we do not live stream the service from our host church. Our host church produces an online service for our home church. So it is okay. specifically for online viewers, which means that they're not facilitating communion mm -hmm. in that moment. So what we do is about once a quarter, the pastor comes and we have a worship time together within our home and he serves communion and provides any kind of pastoral um, sacraments that he needs to yeah. do there. Um, with the other home church that we have though, they actually do live stream. So we have the home church that is live streaming from their host church at the same time. And what that pastor does is blesses sacraments that blesses the elements and yeah. then sends them to the home church so they can partake of it together. So there is that common unity that is yes. happening in real time. Now, are they together in the same place? Well, yes and no, because they are gathered together. The place is this internet connection, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. they're in real time gathered in the same place. You've got this one group of people over here and another group of people over there. Um, so then that way they are connected, um, in that way. And there is kind of an embodiment. There is a communal spirit that is happening in that. Um, so that's kind of how we have worked that out. Is it quote the right answer? I can't tell you what's the right answer and wrong yes. answer and all of that. You know, we just, yep. we just figure out, God, what are you calling us to do in this moment? Um, I, I love so. that. I, I think, and I think there's, there's a huge takeaway there for, for those listening, uh, and what what I what I hear and is that you felt God leading you in a direction you maybe didn't have all the answers when you started moving in that direction, and in some ways even if you think you have all the answers when you get there you realize maybe you thought you had the right answers and then you didn't and you've got to adjust and and I think the 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 churches that are thinking about doing some things online and if they think they're going to wait until they figure everything out uh, before they start 
uh, they're they're really making a significant mistake because even if you figure it all out, you're probably going to be wrong in a lot of areas. And so you better just start and and then you'll better understand to better make the right decisions. And we just have to we have we have to be more flexible than we've ever been in ministry and we have to be willing to make some mistakes. Um, and at the end of the day, I think what we have to check more than anything is our heart. You know, if our if our heart is in the right place, we're going to, I think, align. Uh, in the right ways. And one of the things I love, Ann, is you you really align to your the UMC traditions and you know, and 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 instead of kind of forcing, you know, maybe it, an easier way, you just said this is how we align and, and this is with the way this medium is working, how we're gonna do the sacraments and how and I think every church can do that in their own unique context. Yeah. Uh and and I think that is the beauty of the internet. And the internet is just a tool and it's not like every online church needs to function just like life church. Uh, or just like Saddleback Church, or, um, or, or or just like Chapel Online, you know. I think you've got to figure it out for your ministry, um, and I think it's beautiful. And how you guys have have really just kind of one step at a time. Like, okay, this is how we do communion. This is how we gather. This is how we do home house churches. What as you look to the future, where where do you go from here? What what do you think the future holds for uh, these these ministries that God's put on your heart? Yeah. I think that um, one of the things that I'm seeing is an increased desire to continue these WhatsApp groups where people are coming together, um, where they experience really online connection through WhatsApp, but then every so often they can engage personally. Um, And I love that we then are elevating leaders in their community and sending them out to go and visit the people in their Um, in the hospital in their area to go and celebrate new babies that are born, to go and care for each other and go to um, funerals and those kinds of things. Like they're providing that pastoral care within their little community. And these are people who have never met each other that live in the same, in the same town and they're just becoming family. Um, So I see more of that happening for sure. I see more growth in our, um, especially like our child sponsorship organization, Victory Children's Outreach, as Mm -hmm. people um, who have the ability to share with other people, catch a vision for what it looks like to live generous lives Mm -hmm. and, and to walk beside others who do not have as much as they have. Um, And even in just a small way as, you know, $40 a month to send a a child to school can just change the whole trajectory of a family. And so I think that those kinds of things are being unlocked in people's hearts and minds as they become disciples, as they become more like Jesus. Um, And I think, too, that um, I will continue to raise up leaders. I mean, that's what discipleship is all about. It's raising up leaders who then raise up leaders. And I want that to be just as natural as breathing, right? To just Mm -hmm. continue to take him in and then exhale him out and and, um, to be able to empower leaders to go out and to lead in their community um, and just create this discipleship that's like an inhaling in of of Jesus and, and God and all that he has for us. And then we just exhale out all into the world, whatever that looks like in their particular setting. So that's really the rhythm that we hope. Yeah. What um, do you think? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get into a weed here uh, with WhatsApp. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've done some ministry work in India and they really turned me on to WhatsApp. 
and um, and and I tried to kind of force it with some of my local communities here in the U.S. And I just feel like I haven't been able to get Americans on on board with WhatsApp. Now I do have one. Our neighborhood dog group uh, is on WhatsApp, and that's the one, uh, the one community. So it's kind of the the weird New York City dog lovers uh, that seem to be okay with uh, with WhatsApp. But what uh, is there any uh, any WhatsApp advice that you might have, having entered into the 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 realm of WhatsApp for ministry leaders that that are listening today? I think for us, the thing that gets our U.S. people onto WhatsApp. Yeah. is that they already have established relationships within our Facebook group. Mm. And then they join WhatsApp because they realize that it's easier for their friends overseas yeah. and it's cheaper, it's less costly for them, yeah. and and it's more convenient. And they're able to have more interactions with their friends if they go to WhatsApp. So for us, it's um, it's a means to be a better friend. Um, for our for our U.S. people. Um, and I think that one of the things that I love about WhatsApp is that you can do these voice memos in there, which is absolutely beautiful when you are able to hear someone's expression, when you are, you know, we have Martha, who I told you about, that is our WhatsApp administrator. So in our big global prayer group, she will go on and post a prayer every morning, which is several hours before I'm even up, you know, because of the time change. Um, But every so often she will post her prayer that she will just do a voice memo or someone will send me a voice memo of a prayer that they are praying for me. And that is just so moving. Um, It goes so much further beyond just a text of a post. And so there is a lot of value in that because you're able to hear um, just the enunciation of things. You're able to hear the heart behind things. And um, and so I think there are tools there that WhatsApp gives us that we often don't use. I mean, yes, you can do that in a text message, but not very many people send voice memos in a text message. Um, yeah. And so we miss out on the beauty of hearing someone's voice as they're, as they're speaking to us. So I think if nothing else, go there for the voice memos um, because it is just so beautiful. Um, So, yeah. I love that. I I think the more personal uh, we can make our online interactions uh, with, with others is, is such a value add. I, I, I listened to an interview with Mark Zuckerberg here in the last week where he talked about a lot of what they're doing in AI and language translation is actually going to be started or primarily done within WhatsApp. So I think from a motivation standpoint, it is with, even if you think about a global ministry opportunity, if that's where, you know, Meta, which is, you know, arguably the largest technology company in the world, uh, is going to be investing into, you know, cutting edge technology and language translation, the gospel opportunity there is, I think, pretty significant. And so I do, if you're a church that is wanting and desiring to have a global impact, uh, I think WhatsApp is essential uh, to, to learning. Because it isn't as natural uh, for Americans. It's not something that we're we're using on a regular basis, like Instagram or Facebook. Um, and what, as you as you've been involved in online or in person ministry, uh, you know, most of your life, what what's the biggest difference uh, for people that are going into online ministry, just even functionally or mentally, uh, that that your mindset has to shift as, as you make that shift between offline and online. 
or do you think maybe we overthink the shift is uh, is it not as maybe significant as we think? I think one of the things that is a shift is that typically the way that we have used social media and online platforms is as a communication tool and not a connection tool. Um, it is called social media for a reason, like put yeah. the social back in the social yeah. media. Um, and so I see a lot of churches checking a digital box, thinking that they're doing digital discipleship because once a week they post a Bible verse without really engaging people in conversation. And so I think the thing that is um, that is important to remember is that the most of the most of the time that I spend on this ministry is not even things that people can see on my Facebook page or on my WhatsApp group. It's conversations that are being had behind the scenes. It's messages. It's really getting to know people and and getting to connect with them in their everyday lives. I mean, I think about some of my some of my people that are in Uganda and some of my people overseas, and I know exactly what they're doing right now because we've had conversations about it this morning, you know. And so I think that um, we think we're doing discipleship when we're communicating information. Um, but really what discipleship is, is relationships. And that social media platform is a platform to be social. Um, it's a platform for connection. And if we don't engage with that connection and we stop at the content, then we're not going to be any different than a million other different churches and ministries out there that are also trying to communicate content. Um, and I don't think that the success of Becoming More and the Chapel Online is, become, is because of my content creation. Um, I think it's because we have created this community of people that spend time in conversation with each other off of that platform. Um, yeah. We have people that are constantly in communication with each other. And one of the stories that I love to tell is that I was getting up to talk to a group of people about digital discipleship and the power of it. And these were people that probably didn't really understand it or buy into it. Yeah. And as I was getting up to talk, I quickly saw my phone um, go off, which meant that I had a WhatsApp message. And so I looked mm -hmm. on WhatsApp and one of my guys in Jinja, Uganda, said, mom, um, one of my friends, one of my friends here in the U.S. that lives about an hour away, um, she is sick and in the hospital. Have you talked to her? And I said, no, I have not. And he said, mom, you need to follow up. I said, well, I'm getting ready to go on stage, but afterwards I will follow up. Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff that digital tools create the opportunity for. And if we don't build those connections, we are not even dipping our toe into the experience that is available to us um, through creating those connections. Now, is it messy? Yes, it is so messy. It is so messy. And people ask me all the time, well, Anne, how do you know if they're not a scammer? And how do you know they're, you know, they're real people? And my answer is always, friends, even scammers need, need Jesus. I mean, that Nigerian prince that's going to give you a million dollars to hold in your bank account, he needs Jesus. Yes, like, so we can still have conversations um, and offer Jesus, even if that person is not sincere on the other end. Um, so, and have I encountered those people? Yes, I have. Have I been disappointed by those people? Yes, I have. 
But will I continue to engage them? Yes, I will. Um, because that that's the work that we're called to do. Um, everybody needs a chance to meet Jesus. I love that. I love that. Um, I, I've got more questions. So I, I would have just ended the podcast right there, but I've got a couple <laughs> more questions. Uh, I, I want to ask you, but that, that, um, that is so important. And I, and I, I hope everyone that's listening to that, if you're in a rub of like, should we or shouldn't we? Um, you should. Uh, yes. um, I, I just, yes. and I, and I, and I think it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, maybe not online isn't for everybody. I'm, I'm maybe at a point where online is for everybody, uh, in one way or another, uh, even if you don't have ambitions of reaching people all over the world, um, the discipleship opportunities that exist online, uh, it, it just is, it's, there's so much unique opportunity, even for your local congregation. Um, I, I, and I want to know, or, or just even hear your perspective, uh, because you've shared so many unique stories of what's happening, uh, internationally, uh, through, uh, through, through the, the ministry efforts. What, what is the biggest difference, uh, between local ministry in America and global ministry online culturally, as, as you've, as you've learned, how do I communicate with somebody in Zimbabwe? or Nigeria, uh, or India different than somebody in Atlanta? Um, what, what does that look like, um, practically for Americans that are considering, you know, going online and, and what that might look like as they, as they develop that global online community? Yeah. I think that one of the things that you need to be aware of is that sometimes when you think you're giving people the gospel, what you're giving is American church. And they don't need American church. What they need is the gospel. The gospel is universal. It is for all. It is relevant to all. And when I begin to say things that are more American than gospel-centered, that's when I become irrelevant. Um, and so one of the things that I think is so important is um, when you look at having the possibility of, of embracing a global um, community, is that you remember, hey, I need to give the truth. I don't need to give my own opinion or the, the colored experience that I have, the colored lens through which I see through. What I need to give is the unvarnished truth of the gospel because that will always be relevant. It will always be applicable. And so one of the things that we do is we have a weekly reading guide. Um, and so every single day there is a scripture to read and I'll go on and do like a little three minute TikTok video about that scripture. Yeah. And what I'm doing is just talking about the actual truth of scripture. I'm not going to embellish it. I've only got three or four minutes. I don't have time for this big, you know, theological, you know, whatever. I just get to the nuts and bolts. We do prayer. We do live prayer once a week on Wednesdays, which is always are most highly engaged with day throughout the week. Um, and prayer is universal. I don't care who you are, where you are, prayer is something that is so important. So get back to the basics of what we're all about and strip away everything else. Just, just figure out what is that minimal ecclesiology and build from there. Um, what I do, I think, feels very much like the early church in the book of Acts. It's just that is what is necessary um, for for discipleship. And what I realize is that here in the U.S., we add a whole lot of layers on that really is not is not necessary. Um, yes. And I have learned so much 
as I have had conversations with my friends overseas, what is it like in Pakistan? What is it like in Malawi? What is it like in South Africa and Uganda and Nigeria, those kinds of places? What is it like to be a believer there? And what are the things that you do? Um, and one of the things that I, you know, this is just a small difference, but it just illustrates some of the differences um, that exist is on Sunday, I used to always ask, did you go to church today? And, um, and over there, you would say, where did you pray from today? So did you go, did you go for prayer today? And so it's less about the church building and more about gathering for prayer in connection with God and other people. Um, and so what a beautiful picture that we can strip away our American understanding of what church is and, um, and really get back to what it actually is. It's beautiful. It, 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 you, you remind me, and I want to share just two quick stories that, uh, uh from my experiences that, that you reminded me of. And when, when we started onlinechurch.com, we, we, we were a mega church in San Antonio and we thought we were bringing our local church to the world, uh, as people started clicking and watching our services. And I remember being in an online small group that we had started and, and it was on a, you know, just a weekday morning. And one of the ladies was going through a divorce and she shared it in the chat room as we were kind of taking prayer requests. And, and, uh, one of our leaders, uh, was based in the Philippines and she, um, chimed in and, and said that, uh, it just said, can we stop this and just focus on praying for, you know, this church member and, and that, that lady in San Antonio, which is where our local church was needed to be ministered to by our congregant in the Philippines, uh, who was up late at night to join that Bible study. And, uh, and, and I began to realize like, oh, we, we didn't, we're not just taking our church to them. We're bringing them to our church. And we're basically just, we're, we're widening the walls uh, of our church and the limits of, of our church. And it, it is a ministering to everyone, you know, both ways, uh, probably more to ourselves than to them. And, th and then I think about another, you know, we had a, a group in Nepal uh, that, that we had connected with uh, where the pastor that he was getting fed by attending our church, but then he connected with one of our leaders uh, who would wake up. Uh, she was a you know in her seventies, and she'd wake up at four in the morning on Saturdays to lead a group a Bible study for a group of women in Nepal. They'd sit on the floor in this church building and they would uh, you know Skype in, and and she would lead them about you know thirty women. Well, then her group of sewing ladies in the church sewed sweaters and sent them over there, and. And, and those women would tell you, not probably on both sides would tell you that they were more ministered to by the other, but I can guarantee you the women in San Antonio were far more ministered to by the women in Nepal than we were ministering to them. Um, and it just, when you can make those connections, uh, it, it is, it is not a gift that your church is giving somewhere else. It is actually a gift being given to your church, uh, by, by creating that integration. Um, but it, but it, to your point, Ed, it is messy, messy, messy. Uh, and there are going to be unique challenges, but I believe from my experiences and, um, it, it's worth it. I believe it is worth all of the mess and all of the heartache and all of the challenges and all of the cost. Um, and, and it, and it will be a blessing. Uh, and as, as we wrap up, uh, this, this conversation, and this is, thank you so much for your time. Uh, an investment in, into this 
uh, community and audience. Uh, what what advice uh, do you want to give to the church leaders that are listening, uh, based on your experiences and based on kind of what what God is continuing to put on your heart and stir in you? Yeah, I think um, two things. The first thing is that people are not so different. Um, all people want to know that they are seen and known and loved by God. Um, that's it. They they want to know that they are seen and known and loved. And so if it, no matter where you engage people across the globe, if you can help them understand those three things, their lives will be changed. Um, and then the second thing is this. One of the things that I have learned um, on a much deeper level since starting these digital ministries is um, is the fact that I'm not called to be the leader. Um, I like to say I'm the first follower. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, and thank you. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, thank you for your investment here. Thank you uh, for continuing to innovate and lead the way and model uh, for so many other ministry leaders. And I can't wait to see uh, what God does uh, in, in the future and uh, just stay connected. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you would leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you're listening, uh, and then connect with us. Uh, all the show notes, all the links to Anne's uh, social media channels and, and website uh, will be there at socialmedia.church. And so go check out those show notes and, and check out all the different things uh, that Anne is doing. And we will connect you again on the next episode. 